I've come out on a walk, my usual walk, after lunch. It's a pretty lovely day. It's not as windy as it was the other day. I came out optimistically not wearing a coat on, I think it was Wednesday, and there was an easterly wind, and it was bitter, very uncomfortable. And today I've come out with a coat, and there isn't a wind. At least, no, I don't think there is at all, really. It's very still. You may be able to hear rooks in the background if you listen carefully. There's also a circular saw from a man who's building a, a tree house in his garden for his little daughter. Uh, last few days I have put the finishing touches to a few projects. I managed to finish, and I do mean finish, an artificial intelligence machine learning project, a very simple one that I started some time ago and mentioned here, to train a neural net to estimate the contribution that each electrical appliance in the house makes to the total electricity consumption, and then plot it on a graph so that you can see who the those appliances responsible for the worst electricity consumption are. And I managed to get that to work. And it's quite interesting to watch it learning because I graphed its answers in relation to what I thought was a theoretical minimum amount of energy that solar panels would generate because we're seriously thinking about it. And uh, you can see it gradually rising, poking its nose above the level that you can generate by solar power when you do the cooking with the oven on. And it learns this from the training data. So it's rather good fun. The chatbot's been very instrumental in helping me get to the end of the project. It's good to be able to say, why doesn't this code work? And quite often it's a, an error that it would take me a very long time to track down because it involves some small detail that I'm not aware of in Python or Torch. And the other thing that I've been looking at and trying to get my head around is the transcription program Whisper, which as I think I must have said, some episodes ago, fails when you try and run it on the GPU. In fact, it doesn't matter too much because running it on the CPU is not at all slow. Uh, uh, 16 minutes, which tends to be roughly how long these recordings are, it will transcribe into four different versions, if not five, in about 40 seconds. So you can simply run it while you're doing something else. It's very happy. Out it comes, and that's using a very simple model. But as I said, one of the things that they've decided to do to try to get the models to work, the larger models to work on machines with relatively limited memory, not very fast either by sort of supercomputer standards, is to use sparse sets, sparse tensors really. And sparse tensors are both more efficient in terms of memory and faster in terms of computation. And I've never really done very much with them, so I thought I'd sit down and work out why they're so much faster with computation. 
and I took a couple of matrices with just uh, three by three tensors matrices for the purposes of this they're the same although they're not really the same and I thought about having just three non-zero elements and asking the machine to multiply them together using a dense and sparse formation which isn't really a fair test because the sparseness really only starts to become really significant if you've got very large tensors that have got vast arrays of zeros in. But when I worked it out it's actually very easy. But you only need to consider the multiplication of elements where the column number of the first one is equal to no, the other way around, the row number of the first one is equal to the column number of the second one. And that will then always produce a non-zero answer since you're only looking at non-zero elements. And instead of having to do, well, a 3 by 3 matrix to do the normal multiplication would need 27 multiplications and 9 additions. And if you do it with sparse tensors, you need three multiplications and no additions at all. I suppose if there were rather fewer non-zero elements, you might need something else. But it's surprising how simply simple it is once you get your head around what's going on. As for the ChatGPT world and what's happening, there have been all sorts of further developments in terms of so-called AI or AGI experts expressing more and more scepticism about it. And I thought I might just do a few minutes today reminding, well myself to be honest, of some of the things that I said about intelligence and language earlier in this series when I was trying to get to grips with how the whole thing works. And one of the things that struck me in particular was that we imagine that we know what intelligence is. And I think many of us have a view of it in which it is very much the conscious, deliberate, intentional manipulation of concrete ideas. The, the, a sort of uh, Lego block, building brick, or Meccano if you're old enough to remember it, where you, you've got certain bits and you decide that you're going to think about how to fit them together. And I don't think that that is how intelligence works or indeed how it manifests itself. As I've said many a time, I think that our non-conscious brains just do stuff with the things that we feed them. And the most useful role of our conscious brains is intentionally to decide what it is we'd like our non-conscious brains to think about. So if it's about artificial intelligence or philosophy or politics or whatever it might be, that's the sort of material that you feed into your non-conscious brain and then you just leave it to get on with it. 
and there's nothing very much that's intentional or deliberate about it. And sometimes it comes up with interesting ideas, fruitful ideas, solutions sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't. But then that's true of the deliberate process as well. And so when we're looking for signs of artificial general intelligence, I don't think that we should be looking for something that is necessarily traceable. The point about early AI was that it was felt imperative that it should not only be able to explain what it had done, but to give the reasons why it had done it, to justify itself. And I'm not sure that's true. I think that the black box problem that we've touched on before may well imply that the explanation for some of the solutions that these things are going to start coming up with as they become more and more sophisticated will just be beyond us. Just beyond us. So that even if it tried to explain, even if it gave an explanation that would satisfy itself, not necessarily an explanation that we would understand. It would be rather like someone who hardly knows how to play chess asking a grandmaster why he made a move. The grandmaster might well be able to give an answer that would satisfy him, but the beginner probably wouldn't have the foggiest idea what he was talking about or even understand what he'd said because they just don't have the intellectual framework in which to do it. And I think that's the same, the same as we are with these AGIs. So when the artificial intelligence, intelligentsia, the experts say they're not convinced by the chatbots, I wonder what would convince them. It's very difficult to be convinced by someone else's intelligence. After all, you can look at somebody, you can see people, for example, who can do crossword puzzles very quickly, who can solve mathematical problems that you can't solve, who can program computers in ways that you couldn't even begin to imagine programming them. And the chatbot does all of that. The way it produces code is remarkable. But you can say to it, I need a piece of code that will do this, and instantly it produces one. Always right. But it isn't always wildly wrong either. You can usually find a way to fix it up. Quite often it doesn't do what you want because you haven't explained it clearly enough. And it does sometimes get the wrong end of the stick, almost as if it misses out a knot which needs to be there, as you might say as we do sometimes. So it'll do try and do the opposite of what you want. Well, I think I'm ramble chatting a bit. I'm not quite sure where this series goes from here. We're on episode 86, which is longer than any series that we've done before. And perhaps it's time to start thinking about moving on. But I do think that there's still some mileage that we haven't explored. I'll come back to it perhaps another day. Thank you for listening.
a very quick footnote to the first part of this episode, which I recorded, I think, two days ago now. I have been under the weather with something weird. Um, better now. Um, I was right first time over this place to test Thing to say is about my little idea about decomposing the ingredients of an electricity bill. Uh, that started off as a fairly frivolous idea. Can we use AI to find out what's contributing what? Answer is yes, we can. I then discovered that there's a whole science of this called statistical. Spectrography or something, where you try to use statistical methods to identify the trends in things. An example would be if, for example, you are a, a, a water company and you become conscious of a loss of water from your system, can you break down the various users? in such a way as to enable you to identify where that loss is occurring. But I have another example. It's possible that I mentioned this before. Um, I haven't checked. But uh, another example would be diet. Uh, Whatever has been upsetting me the last couple of days has been that I've obviously eaten something or other that didn't agree with me. It gave me really awful wind for about 48 hours, so bad that it was debilitating. Kept me awake at night and all sorts. Fortunately, it's now gone. For good, I hope. But if you want to trace what it is you eat, it perhaps has this kind of effect. The fact that all our metabolisms are slightly different means that you can't just look at a Wikipedia page or a diet thing and it'll say eat less bread, less potatoes or less rice. You have to look at it on more of a fine-tuned basis and one of the ways to do that is to do one of these spectral decompositions to say all right this is what I eat roughly. Is there anything in the pattern of what I eat that will show up in whether it's an actual measure like a blood pressure reading or a glucose blood glucose reading or a subjective one like a state of mind or how happy or unhappy you're feeling. Can you use the output data to analyse the input and to trace back and find out what it may be that causes it. Because if you could do that, you'd be onto a winner. One of the things we've talked about in this episode recently is the love that human beings have for a kind of monoculturalism, for wanting to explain everything in terms of one thing. 
I think I say, you know, it's inflation or it's unemployment or it's balance of payments or it's goodness knows what, one or the other. One or the other. We love to focus in on one thing and blame that for everything. When it's a multi-dimensional, multi-causal problem, they're very much more difficult to solve. Just like a, a fault or a machine or a motor car, whatever it may be, that's got many causes. You can't isolate them. You have to solve one at a time and then eventually you may get to the end and manage to solve all of them. So human beings love monocausal, monocultural explanations, but they're nearly always wrong or oversimplifications of a gross kind. So if instead we could analyse our world using multi-causal things, we might get to the bottom of things more quickly. And we also might be able to look at something as gargantuan as a national economy worth over two trillion, is it, dollars a year, and say, well, that being so, what are the factors in things like government policy and so on that are identifiable as occasioning actual changes to gross domestic product, positive and negative? Because sometimes I feel that politicians come along on budget day or general elections or over pandemics and they throw money at something or they suck money from something. And to call it a blunt instrument is kind compared with the subtleties of what are really, what's really going on. And so you've got a multi-causal problem that demands a multi-causal solution and answer. And we love to believe that we can just change one thing can't. And that was really partly to do, or partly the motivation behind my little project. So I thought I'd just mention that, and I will now shut up and publish this one. Thank you for listening again.